Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Good morning, everyone. It's Thursday. You know what that means. It's time for our weekly award-winning segment with the founder of the largest online progressive community and... I would say the uh, largest ongoing polling service with the largest sample size in terms of an ongoing polling service that Civics with a Q. Marcos Melitzis joins us. Hey, buddy. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Just good. Just fine. Just fine. Yeah. So I noticed mm-hmm. on um, the brief on Tuesday, you were talking a little bit about um Georgia and um the different constituencies that got the votes out. I mean we know a lot about the African American electorate vis-a-vis Stacey Abrams. Right. But it was also the Asian American community that showed up strong in Georgia too. Did yeah, there was um, about 265,000 more Asians voted between 2016 and 2020. And while we don't know exactly how they broke down, modeling suggests it might have been about 82 to 10 to 82 to 15. So um, that would suggest a couple hundred thousand plus votes for for the Democrats. Remember, there was Democrats got 600,000 more votes between 2016 and 2020. Mm -hmm. And that Asian community. Uh, which is only 4% of Georgia, but that was a big chunk of votes. And remember, Joe Biden only won Georgia by 12,000 votes. And when an election is that close, everybody was the winning margin, right? I mean, you're the, you know, the black community, obviously, winning margin, suburban white women, winning margin, Asians, winning margin, Latinos, winning margin. And all of those had to turn out. And there was groups that were doing incredible work, focused on each one of those communities. 
And one of the things that I've sort of really been talking about these last, since the election, is how important these on the ground organizers are uh, turning out the Asian vote or the black vote in Georgia or the Native American Indian, American Indian vote in Arizona. Um, these groups do more work to turn out votes at less cost than all those oh, fancy consultants with their TV ads and a direct mail. And, and quite frankly, it, it's almost distressing to me seeing the amount of money that was just pissed away on TV ads that don't change any votes, that don't build any kind of lasting infrastructure. When you have these groups literally talking to non-voters and getting them to turn out when they're struggling just to raise $10,000 here, $15,000 there, and then you have campaigns dropping tens and hundreds of millions of dollars on TV ads. So I'd love to see a shift in progressive giving. You sold campaigns need a basic amount, but when Jamie Harrison raises 58 or 60, what was it, $58 million, and he's asking for money the weekend before the election for more TV ads that didn't change a single vote, mm. I'd rather have seen that money be spent on these groups doing that on the ground organizing, because they're the ones that are literally dragging people to the polls. Um, I spoke with uh, Rachel Bittacoff the other day, and <clears throat> she became famous for predicting the 2018 so well. But she said the same thing to me, um, how the Democrats, once again, and it's like all of us seem, tend to be on the same page these days, getting away from this consultant stuff putting money in communities and matter on the ground. And she was stressing how important that is in Georgia. Um, otherwise, this will be another blown opportunity. And, and obviously you would agree. I, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I know groups that put it this way, just like in what you described, a lot of our <clears throat> do what they need to do, Marcos, in spite of the consultant class. They just go ahead and do it. You know, they don't wait on a consultant class. But imagine if a lot of our groups had even more on the ground support and investment, they could be even more effective, couldn't they? Yeah. I mean, looking look at, at these, you know, <clears throat> the the uh, person we were interviewing on uh, uh, on the brief this week's the brief. Her name's Aisha. And she is the uh, director of uh, what was the name? The Asian American Advocacy Fund and shoestring budget. And they were they they were calling they they think they called almost every single Asian American living in the greater Atlanta area. And so you're looking at 200,000, 260,000 new Asian American votes. 2016, 2020 overwhelmingly went for Biden. And you have a by far the winning margin. This group doesn't exist you probably don't get enough of those agents to create that 12,000 vote buffer. And that goes for every organization that is doing this sort of in the ground community work in Georgia, targeting the black community, the Latino community, uh, <clears throat> young voters as well. And, and right now there's groups that are focused on registering voters who turned 18 in the middle, right, in this two-month frame, right, there's 20-some thousand voters. These numbers matter when something is going to be as close as it looks like it's going to be. So that is money that actually literally is getting votes. You, you fund these organizations, 
it is translating to votes. We saw that in Arizona where Biden won it by 10,000 votes. Uh, the native community provided probably about a 100,000 vote margin for Joe Biden. <clears throat> and if you look at a map of where American Indians live in Arizona, it is literally blue. It is the overlay of the counties of the areas that Joe Biden won. That was the margin of victory. And so we can talk about the importance of suburban white women. And I don't ever want to discount them because they actually they also delivered the margin of victory. Right. But you needed all these groups. And if we didn't turn out our core uh, um, communities of color, if if we didn't turn out youth vote, the youth vote was, you know, 60 percent, I think, higher than, you know, than the previous record. If those don't turn out, Joe Biden is not president. And. If we invest more in those organizations that are doing this great work, we may be, you know, Arizona and Georgia can start becoming more like Colorado and Virginia. They were red states that became competitive for about two cycles, and then boom, now they're safely blue states or core base democratic states. And so we can do that in Arizona and Georgia if we support these groups targeting the native vote and the Asian vote, the black vote, Latino vote. Obviously, the same thing in Texas. Now, in Georgia, it's happened. It's no accident that 600,000 more Democratic votes sort of popped up between 2016 and 2020. It wasn't just, <laughs> oops, here, here they are, 600,000. Like Stacey Abrams led that, that, um, that charge <clears throat> to invest in those on-the-ground Georgia organizations. And you know, talking to the Asian American Advocacy Fund, they got their started. They got started. They got their start working with Stacey Abrams, right? So mm -hmm. you had somebody who had that magnetic ability to draw people in and their money. And wow, like a red state, a, a slight red state became a purple state pretty pretty much overnight. And so that can happen. I mean, we, we, we continue to make gains in Texas. We didn't win it this year, but it's getting closer and closer. And Democrats at the party level, didn't really make, didn't put an investment in Texas because Biden didn't need Texas. Um, and so he's not going to spend his time and, you know, enough of his money to really fight for it. But it went from being a 15-point Romney state to a nine-point, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, Trump the first time only won it by nine. This time Trump won it by six, right? So it's, it's moving gradually in our direction and people are doing this long-term organizing and building and, and, uh, and getting people registered and turning out the vote. It's going to be probably next, I'm, I'm sure four years from now, it is a legitimate purple state. This time it was on the teetering, it was on the brink, right? It is now a legitimate purple state. Iowa's not a purple state anymore. Iowa's a red state. Ohio's a red state. I mean, they've gone the way of, of Missouri. So we have to sort of shift our, our thinking and our expectations away from the old maps to these new maps. And the reason that Iowa and Ohio are no longer uh, purple states, it's because they're all white. They are very, very white states. I mean, you think Ohio might think of Cleveland, right? But no, Ohio is a very white state. And uh, the states that are sort of becoming the new battlegrounds are all insanely diverse, like Georgia, um, Texas, Arizona. And Mark, I keep saying this, nobody believes me, but South Carolina and Mississippi, they're next. They're next. After Texas, South Carolina and Mississippi, demographically, they are slight. They're not because there's not a lot of investment there yet, but they are moving slightly in our direction. 
And if people did the kind of work that they did in Georgia, Mississippi can be a purple state. It's 40 percent uh, African-American. And the reason it's it's so solidly Republican is because, one, that black community doesn't vote at its percentage of the population. It underperforms. And white voters in Mississippi are like 90 percent Republican. Right. I mean, there's like some whites that live in some of the cities. Right. They'll, they'll be they'll be more liberal. But anybody that's living outside of the cities and is white in Mississippi is Republican. But again, that's a demographic that's that's exiting the electorate. Right. I mean, they're older. They're they're dying off. Younger white Mississippians aren't as Republican. And obviously the, the black community is growing. There's a you know small but growing Latino community. These numbers are making these states competitive, but not by accident. Nobody's focusing. I mean, not nobody. There are groups in Mississippi, but they're severely underfunded. Like there's no real, there's no Stacey Abrams in Mississippi right. yet. Right, right, right. Um, Georgia was lucky that they had Stacey Abrams. Texas is lucky that they have Beto. Beto's doing amazing mm -hmm. work organizing, right? So they have these high profile figures that are really bringing a lot of money and attention into organizing those states. We need that in South Carolina. Maybe it'll be Jamie Harrison. We need that in, although, you know, Jamie Harrison, everything I'm hearing, he's going to be DNC chair. Okay. That's the, that's the, that's the word coming down from people that are on, in the DNC itself. Uh, Mississippi, like we don't have, we don't have that high profile figure that can really rally nationally, but those are states that can and will move in our direction if there's a proper investment in it. And remember that we're stuck in this, this world where, where rural small states get a disproportionate voice in our politics, uh, definitely in the presidency, but especially in the Senate. So if any of these states that are right now Republican held, if we can start chipping away at those and making them competitive at the Senate level, you start getting closer to evening out that imbalance. And so Georgia, we're going from two red senators, two, two Republican senators, to hopefully two blue senators, two Democrats overnight. That's the kind of changes that, that can happen, but obviously we need to work in them. And these organizations on the ground are doing that work. Yeah, no, that's that's important, obviously. So you feeling, are you feeling any more confident about Georgia? Um, it's, I have no idea what to, ex what to expect, right? Um, uh, I haven't, I haven't seen any updated numbers on early vote other than people saying it looks great, but there's no apples to apples comparison because we didn't have this kind of early vote in a, in a runoff ever because people weren't doing early vote pre COVID at these numbers. And we've never had a runoff of this high profile and this much attention given to it. Uh, I'm encouraged by all the infighting with the Republican party. I mean, they're, they're a mess right now. Yeah. I'm encouraged that there doesn't seem to be a problem raising money for our candidates and organizations. They seem to be, um, they seem to be, uh, they have the resources that they need. Um, but whether our hard to turn out demographics actually turn out again, that's, that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a big wild card. We don't know that. And we also don't know if the hidden deplorables, these these Trump-only voters, if they're going to turn out. If they turn out, it's going to be really, really hard, and it's going to be really, really close. If they don't turn out, less so. So um, there's a lot of wild cards uh, in a pretty much unprecedented political situation. It's a national election in one state. Um, so am I optimistic? 
I, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful. It's definitely winnable. We won it last time. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. if we, if we get our people out the way we did in 2000, in, in, in November, then we win. They're not going to, they're, they're maxed out. They're not going to get more than Donald Trump did. So if we get our people out, then we win. I just, I just don't know because we just haven't had this situation before. Speaking of the infighting, you know, the Secretary of State having to defend himself from from violent threats, um, which, you know, and, and I guess he and others feel like, you know, I don't need to continue to enable Donald Trump or allow this to happen. I'm going to speak out on my own behalf. I'm sure he has a family. They're concerned. You start threatening people like that for no reason. What is he supposed to do? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not. Mm -hmm. It, it, it this is it was not the margin was not close enough for them to fix it and i think if it were like florida they probably would have turned some type of trick but it didn't work out that way well they but, did it with amy with stacy abrams right i mean it's it's not yeah, this is unprecedented <laughs> right 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 um yeah. but it didn't work out this time you also um you have roger stone saying don't vote but then trump i hear is threatening to go to georgia that I'm wondering if that won't help our Democratic candidates if he shows hope, up in Georgia. Yeah, I hope he does go. And there's actually, a, you know, from reports, there's a debate inside the White House where some people are trying to argue that it would not be helpful because he's not going to go there and talk about Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. Right. I mean, he's going to go. He's going to be on stage talking about how it was stolen from him, how. Brian Kemp, the Republican governor and, and the Republican secretary of state stole it from them and how it's all rigged and how the voting machines are rigged. And so they can't expect him to be there to actually pump up those candidates. He's going to actually go up there to make it all about himself. And and Mark, you know, we talked about how in 2019 there was there was evidence that Trump underperformed, not Trump. Republican candidates underperformed in counties where he campaigned, where he actually held rallies, right? Well, the verdict is in for 2020, and Trump underperformed the counties that he actually held rallies in compared to his numbers in the rest of the uh, those states in the, in the country. So there is now much more evidence that his rallies do not help locally. Now, in a national election, maybe that doesn't matter. You know, maybe having Fox News run your your rally is is a net plus nationally, even if locally it hurts you. But in um, but in Georgia, it's all local. <laughs> so <laughs> what does it matter if people in Texas, Republicans in Texas are all excited about Trump doing another rally if it actually depresses that that local? And a lot of it was, Mark, um, because of the, the local coverage was just terrible. Right. COVID super spreader events leaving people out in the cold. Uh, so the way that they did those rallies really were unsafe and, and led to a lot of negative headlines. So it makes sense that locally it would be a, a, a negative. So the same thing will happen if he shows up in Texas, all the Georgia newspapers will talk about the super spreader events and how irresponsible and unsafe they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, and again, you can't expect massive defections, right? That's not going to happen. What you can see is margins here and there, right? Like, you, you know, you lose half a percent because Roger Stone says don't vote and, and they're running billboards. 
saying don't vote for these Republicans, right? Republicans running billboards saying don't vote for those Republicans. It may shave a half a point here, you know, a quarter of a point there. But in a close election like November was, which was what, 0.3%, I think was the, the final margin, those numbers could end up being the margin of victory for the Democrats. So um, I would rather be us than them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it, I mean, it may be. So right now in the House, U.S. House, uh, in five races, Democrats have lost by less than a thousand points. So it, uh, there's a race in, in Iowa where we probably lost by about six votes, six votes. There's a race in New York, which looks like we lost by about 13 votes. I mean, these are the kind of margins that we're seeing. Um, and this time, because the deplorables came out for Trump, we are on, you know, about five of those races that we lost by, by nothing, by a sliver of a sliver. Um, and it really eats away at our margins in the House. That may be what's happening in Georgia, right? We may lose these by 15 votes, by 20 votes. I mean, it's, it is happening. It has happened. It is that close. And Georgia is that sort of evenly divided. So it really comes to who gets out the vote best. And anything that, that depresses that excitement and that energy, I think, is a plus for us. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and again, to your theory, we won't know till it happens because this is such an extraordinary situation. Special election. Do the deplorable show up if Trump is not on the ballot? Um, and that's the question. So this this will be um, a little test case or OJT, if you will, folks, because we just don't we just don't know at this point. Hopefully they won't show up, but we should organize, as Marcos has said in the past, as if they are going to show up. Uh, speaking of the infighting, a lot of craziness. Um, Joseph DeGeneva, um, Giuliani, Bill Barr, even now saying that there's no there there. Um, but it's, it's really so the issue, too, of people offering money for pardons. Uh, <laughs> and then would you consider pardoning your children before they've even been charged with anything unless you know what your children did? And they know <laughs> what they did. I mean, you and I, Marcos, right now, today, aren't walking around living our lives worried that we're going to be prosecuted for something, mm -hmm. right? Because we haven't done anything. we just living and breathing. <laughs> but these people, I've never heard of pre-pardoning because they expect that they're going to be hearing. Now, I want me to think to state and local prosecutors. Yeah. It's doubtful that the DOJ is going to prosecute any of them because that's just not what the DOJ does to um, uh, predecessor presidents. But it, it's just amazing to me. And, and also, let me throw this out there. You can just all of it. You've been talking about the grift. And I've heard you say that, but it's becoming even more crystallized for me because when you look at what he's doing, which makes no sense, it's no logical sense, but it's bringing in money. So you, you're getting your syncophants to send you their small dollar donations because you're probably going to need a legal fund, one. Um, and when you've lived your whole life hustling and stealing from people, Trump shuttle, Trump stakes, Trump university, Trump wine, whatever it was, it's always, so this is the latest commodity. 
Trump, I guess you call it Trump legacy or Trump save my ass, whatever it is. But it's just like Trump University and Trump stakes and everything else. Nothing. But people, there's still a, a group of people in this country that wants to give money to his name and that cause. And just like people still, I don't want to say why people still give money to 700 Club. You know, uh, I, <laughs> I, I I saw a couple of days ago and I don't remember the exact number, but it was like he had raised one hundred sixty million dollars since the election. Which I think is more than he raised in the quarter in the month before the election. It was close mm -hmm. to he's thinking I, 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 I concede and that money spigot is shut off. So he's not gonna he's not gonna concede, and in fact, all the the new reports are that he's gonna announce his twenty twenty four pres uh, candidacy on inauguration day. He thinks he'll step on Joe Biden. It's gonna be the way around, but I think he thinks that he can keep that money spigot running every month through twenty twenty four, right? And he owes four hundred million dollars on on loans, so he's thinking he's gonna grift his money. I suspect it'll dry up. Um, most of that will dry up, but it'll, you know, some will still trickle in and, and he needs all the money he can get. And all of that's going to be, just, it's going to be grifted. It's just literally going to go into his pockets. I mean, there's, there's just no doubt about it. That it's just building his, it's going to be spent on building his brand and more fundraising. And the Rubes will keep giving him money that they don't have because his base of support is actually, um, it's a hidden deplorables, right? It's, it's uh, poor white people out in rural America. And um, the incentives here are, are, are skewed. Now, pardons-wise, it, it's clear that pardons need to be reformed. And maybe there might be bipartisan support for doing something about that. Uh, it would have to be a constitutional amendment. because So, you know, we hear that they're, they're investigating that, uh, you know, somebody would try to pay for pardons. You can do it, right? What's there to stop him, right? What, you can indict the guy for trying to bribe the president? Trump pardons him. And in the end, he gets the pardon he wanted anyway, right? And then what's the consequences? You can indict the president for that? Pardon, he'll pardon himself. Yeah. And Can he do that's, that? That's it's never been tested. It has never, because nobody's been stupid enough to try. Trump <laughs> will try, and he's got a 6-3 Supreme Court. And Roberts probably won't vote to say you can pardon yourself but i don't trust the other the other five no. and so they there may literally be president presidents of uh of him pardoning pardoning himself which literally means he can run a criminal enterprise openly from the white house and there's nothing anybody can do about that and so that is definitely ripe for some kind of constitutional amendment uh reform to um to make that a much more restricted and constrained power. I still feel as if they had still have a trick up their sleeve when it comes to electoral college, like they're still going to try something. Now, a member of Congress and one of them, I can't think of his name right now, is planning on um, contesting or raising yeah. objection, but you need a senator to sign off on it. It still doesn't matter. All it does is it means that the post chambers have a vote. Mm -hmm. And and the I mean, it won't even be close in either chamber. 
Okay. Um, in fact, I would bet it's surprising. It's Mo Brooks who in the house who, <laughs> who's already said he's going to um, contest. It is actually shocking that he doesn't have anybody in the Senate yet. You you would think that Rand Paul or Ted Cruz would be jumping at the chance to to do so because they're they're all prepping for 2024. I think it's a good bet to assume that Donald Trump won't make it to 2024. He's not going to be running for president in 2024. He may. He may, but his health is crap and he's getting old and uh, Melania is going to leave his ass. So he's going to look stupid and <laughs> is and uh, he might even be criminally indicted. Yeah. So the idea that he might even be eligible to vote or alive or in any kind of mental state to be able to function is suspect at best. So I, if I'm, uh, you know, Ted Cruz or Rand Paul who thinks they're going to be president someday, it's not a bad bet or, or Arkansas guy. What's his name in Arkansas? Um, Huckabee. Oh my, no, the other one, um, the uh, guy who's obsessed with Iran. Anyway, they all think they're going to be president. It'd be an easy way to get brownie points with the Trump, with the deplorables, but nobody stepped forward yet. And I bet you it's because McConnell is saying, don't you freaking dare, because they would then all have to vote and be on the record. And you're going to get Republicans who don't want to go on the record saying, I am opposed to democracy. Literally, that's what you're doing. At that point, if you're saying we are, we are voting for Donald Trump, you're saying we are overturning the will of the American people. Mm -hmm. And while... I have no doubt that on their own, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, they don't give enough. I think they would do it in a heartbeat just for those easy political points. I have no doubt that the rest of the caucus is saying, like, do not put us in that place where we have to make that kind of vote because it's not a vote we want to take. And that's why nobody took it. And this is what happened in 2000, actually. I think it was Barbara Lee who who contested George Bush's election because of the Florida recount. There was even more of a case then, right? Because that yeah. Florida recount was a was a farce. Yeah. And not a single Democratic senator actually um, um, objected. And I think it's 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 a really difficult place, and now even more so for Republicans because there's really no evidence, no no reason to suggest that uh, Donald Trump may have won. Yeah. 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 It wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that was that was a very famous opening scene in Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah. A number of black caucus members, including Maxine Waters, mm -hmm. and Al Gore, presiding over his own demise as, as, as a Senate president said, because um, he was still vice president, would ask each one that has a senator sign. And they were like, no, we asked Maxine, has a senator signed your concern? And she said, no. And I don't care. <laughs> that a senator has not signed, <laughs> and Al said, "Well, the rules do care, you know." But it, that was that was a, a lighter moment. I want to go back for a minute, though, to all the different constituencies of color. What you are describing, and I hope people get this too, if you've been following the news closely. Um, a lot of these constituencies, including African American, Asians, and others have been requesting meetings with the Biden transition team and not getting them, have been requesting that there be even more and better appointments. There are a lot of deputy um, constituencies of color represented, but people are saying, wait a minute, what about people at the top actually making decisions? So yeah, 
that makes perfect sense, especially as as we're learning and you've described, Marcos, the difference these groups made in getting Biden elected. Now, Biden said, of course, black community had his back. He'd have ours. As far as the NAACP, the legacy civil rights organizations, the black church community and others, they's like, but you haven't yet as far as we're concerned. So, you know, I guess my th- caution is as we talk about the consultant class during election time, there is a consultant class that hovers during transition time. And maybe even when we start getting into the early days and it's just not, it's just not good. It's not helpful, but we don't need to be going into Georgia with every black organization, every Asian organization, um, every native American organization, Adam best tweeted the other day, you know, they, they want to reward Cindy McCain with them. And I don't dislike Cindy McCain, but the point is she delivered Arizona and the native American community said, no, she didn't. So, get that out of your head. She did what she did, but the Native American community, so, and the Latin, Latinx community. So I, I, I think, again, I, well, I hope they don't let this consultant class F them up in the process so that it undermines us in Georgia and undermines the first 100 days of his administration. And listen, the legacy civil rights organizations are not the most radical ones. They aren't the defund the police organization, so to speak. You can't, as Joe Biden, not meet with the NAACP and you, Joe Biden, are a life member of the NAACP. So, I mean, he's not meeting because like he's, he's literally saying no, or is it just hasn't gotten scheduled? Unresponsive. Unresponsive. Yeah, that, I mean... I hate to say that, but that could be as simple as just disorganization as they're trying to yeah. get an or trying to get set up and there's a lot of pressure on the um buying to have everybody ready to go on day one, literally, because um um McConnell will try to do anything else to, to slow things down and to drag things right. out and and even if, if we don't take control of the Senate and even if we have the Susan Collins Borkowski and and uh, Romney helping confirm by an appointees uh, stuff could get dragged out quite a bit. And so they're, they're, they're running like chickens with their head cut off right now, <laughs> pretty much. So I hope that's that. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it's, it's been a couple of weeks and they're all in, and uh, it is, it's pretty chaotic um, as they try to just organize. And Mark, I, I took a, I was somebody, somebody in the transition team sent me a, a, asked me if I wanted to apply for any job in the administration. And they sent me a list of, of positions that are open. It's like 10,000. I mean, it is absolutely insane how ginormous the federal bureaucracy is and how many agencies and commissions and, and councils and, and, um, I mean, I said I didn't want any. <laughs> Just to be clear, <laughs> thank you very much. But no, I like like what I'm doing right now. Um, <laughs> but it, it is it, it just really brought home to me what a massive logistical challenge this is. Now, do they meet, need to meet with the NAACP? Obviously, I mean that's a no brainer. Uh, 
So if they're not organized enough, they at least it should be organized for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing yeah, else. Right. For real. Again, folks, these are the groups that help make it happen. So we will see. Um, prediction. Trump going to go. Is he going to go to the inauguration? You think? No, he already said he's not. Oh, well, no, did he? Yeah. No, I, I actually I don't know if he said he's not, but but uh, all the reporting says is that no, he's going to do that. He's going to try to step on the inauguration by announcing his reelection. So or or new elect or new campaign. So this is unprecedented territory. What happens? Does he leave the White House the day before? He better. <laughs> Biden gets sworn in, and he still ain't left yet. Like, give me a few minutes. I'm getting my stuff together. I mean, what? <laughs> I hope he, well, I hope he's gone tomorrow. Get the hell out of there. I mean, what's the what's the date you actually I, I mean, get by noon. You, you couldn't take the premises. Yeah, he never wanted to be there anyway, right? He was always down in freaking Mar-a-Lago, right? So get mm-hmm. down there now. What's he still doing in the White House? Now he wants to stay in the White House? <laughs> when the American people said get the heck out. <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and go. Just go. Well, this is this is going to be something. But even that drama is what he's going to count on for coverage and publicity. And the challenge, I think, for the mainstream media is going to be how to ignore him, how to stop giving him as much publicity as they've given him. But the craziest stuff he does, I'm not leaving or I'm leaving early or just something crazy. I got my own moving trucks. You know, all of that is going to be I think it's going to be challenging for them to ignore. I, I just hope they figure out a way to do it. Well, Mark. The, the 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 news media continues to obsess over the Trump voter, right? This, this, let's yeah. go back and talk to Trump voters like they did for the last four years. Uh, and now, you know, there's a story in the New York Times, I think, Washington Post, about how, how did Trump get 72 million votes, right? I haven't seen the story. How did Biden get 80 million? Thank you. Biden just crushed it. Unprecedented coalition of, uh, you know, voters of color, young people, uh suburban whites that turned out in record numbers, urban whites, this coalition delivered 80 million votes, just crushed all previous records. Where's that story? Why aren't they talking to those people in the diner? Yeah. Yeah. No, but when Trump won, you had to go to the diner and talk to Trump voters. Nobody's talking to to Biden voters, particularly not the brown ones or the black ones or the Asian ones or the uh, American Indian ones. Like that's not what's happening. Yeah. It's incredible. Okay, real quick, I forget. Yeah, the um, any on civics, any um, thing new that's telltale about the uh, uh, coronavirus outbreak concern or the government response are any new numbers revealing anything or pretty much steady? Um. Trying to, it's it's actually been a couple. It's been about a week since I've looked, so I don't have anything up to date and fresh and brand new. Last I saw, though, uh, concern was moving up amongst independents. Democrats have already been sky high, right? So they're not moving. Republicans think it's all a hoax, so they're they've been down. So there's been a little bit of movement. What I've noticed is that in the uh, perception of how the economy is doing, mm-hmm. suddenly Republicans are like, well, the economy's not doing so great. <laughs> you know, now that Joe Biden won the election. Um, but that also tells us that even though they claim, Republicans claim that that they think Biden stole the election, and I think a poll said 80% think that Biden stole the election. When you look at direction of the country, 
it's totally flipping, right? Republicans who used to think things were great, you know, have sort of plummeted, which means that they know that that they lost and that Biden is going to be president. So, uh, but there's this inflection. We saw it in 2016 as well after Trump won, where Republicans thought the economy was crap. And then the day after Trump won, the economy's doing great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, it is, it is, a lot of those answers are really not based on what people actually believe. It's what team they're on. Yeah. And now that Biden is going to be president, now the economy is crap. And who knows, maybe they'll start thinking coronavirus is a real concern and people dying of it are a problem. I mean, I wouldn't complain if that was the case, if they started taking yeah. the virus seriously. Yeah, it, just because Biden's president. Oh, yep. Corona's killing us. What do you do something? Yeah, just kind of like we don't like we like the ACA, but we don't like Obamacare. So yeah, it just depends. <laughs> exactly. Dailycoast.com. Check out Marcos. Check out Daily Coast every day. Check out Civics with a Q. If you like, become a part of the sample. Also, if you like, and also the brief. Uh, Marcos's new show on YouTube airs on. Tuesdays and the shows are up there too. The archives, yeah, the archives up there. So this is this is my new this is my new toy. I guess it's my new experiment. You enjoy, Mark? I'm liking it more than I thought I would. Really? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I've never been a be in front of a camera kind of person, but it's giving me a, a an excuse to talk to some really cool people, and I think that just suddenly makes it that much more interesting and fun. Well, full disclosure. A few years ago, when I first started talking to Marcos folks about doing Thursday Coats on camera, he said, I don't want to be on camera. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. So, so this <laughs> is unprecedented, that what we've been able to do and getting this going. So it's a good thing. Yeah. No, Mark, you helped. You made me more comfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. Because at first you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be on the camera. Yeah. But now we got you on camera. So that's yes. a good thing. <laughs> cool. All right, man. Thursday Coast folks. That's Marcos. Thank you, Marcos. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please mask up. Be safe. Mask up and be safe, indeed. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.